This is it, folks. Welcome to episode 40, the final Patreon podcast in its current form. I'm John Miro, host and producer of the show, and it has been my pleasure to share creators' stories with you for this last year. But Patreon is just getting started bringing you informing and entertaining glimpses into our community and the lives of our creators, so stay tuned for much more. Since May 2015, I've had a blast sharing these stories with you. Interviewing people is an art. It's one I've been practicing since 2009. It's, it's very rewarding to me. And I'm very grateful and proud of the opportunity to work with Patreon to bring you insights into your favorite Patreon creators and to introduce some of you to new creators you've come to love. Patreon may be taking a break from long-form podcasting, but if you like my interview style, you can keep hearing more of what I'm doing by becoming, for a change, my patron. And to help me make more, visit patreon.com slash originstory. O-R-I-G-I-N-S-T-O-R-I. It's where I'll continue to interview Patreon creators, as well as cast the net wider and explore creators, makers, and innovators beyond the borders of Patreon. Every life, every career, every work of art has an origin story. And now you can become my patron to help me make more. I want to thank Jack, Tyler, and Taryn at Patreon for their support throughout the year we built the show and the year that it ran. Patreon is something special. And I've loved to help share the word about this community through this podcast. And thank you, one and all, for tuning in to hear these creator stories. Okay, let's get down to business. It's time to dig into the lives and passions of two more creators. That's all from your Canadian correspondent to Patreon from the shores of Lake Ontario in Ontario, Canada. Thank you very much for listening to the Patreon podcast. Lauren Shippen is a writer, podcaster, and actor behind the Bright Sessions podcast. Lauren created this show with the idea of what happens when the truly incredible, the truly imaginable, imaginary perhaps, the uncanny, the scary, need to talk about their problems. And one Dr. Bright is the answer to that problem. And today we're going to speak with Lauren about the Bright Sessions podcast. Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thank you very much for appearing. We are great, grateful and lucky to have such a wide variety of talent on the Patreon network, the community, and, and we want to make sure you all get that voice and share your stories. And I think sitting down on that couch and expressing all that inner angst that led you to create, Lauren, you created a podcast about a psychologist who talks to people about their problems, but these people are strange. They're unusual. They, on your Patreon page, you call it a cross between the X-Men and in-treatment. And it's it's something along the lines of a welcome to Night Vale and a Limetown with some humor, some some gentle moments, as well as some startling ones. What gave you the idea? What gave you the, the passion, the drive to create this ongoing podcast about messed up superhuman people? Well, uh, it really came from a desire to just create my own content. As an actor living in L.A., that's one of the things that you always hear from your teachers and your mentors. They say, you have technology, you have the internet, make your own thing, make what you're passionate about and get it out there. And so I had this idea for uh, a time traveler and kind of her journey of taking these trips and going through time and seeing all these things. And I was thinking that could be a podcast. And I was listening to Welcome to Night Vale and a couple other radio shows at the time. This was maybe two years ago. And really just liked the format and thought it would be interesting to do something just on my own. Then as the character of the time traveler, Sam, who's the character I play in the podcast, grew, 
I realized that she needed someone to talk to. <laughs> and so from there, the idea of therapy came out of it. Cause I just thought, okay, what's the scenario in which two people are in a room talking and that can be the entire premise of the show. Oh, therapy. And I've always been a big fan of sci-fi and fantasy. So it just seemed to make sense to me. It's fascinating that you've chosen something. Uh, no actor in the world ever goes to therapy. You really reached outside your comfort zone there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. No, no one in LA goes to therapy at but, all. <laughs> but beyond LA, this is something that everybody has an issue with. When you listen to a podcast, it's because there's this great connection with human voices and you have a great selection of voices on this show. Um, and your sound production has, has very been clear and crisp and beautiful. But what really is always at the core is someone that needs to express what's going on and the mystery of the show is sometimes just you know is not secondary to the fact that they're interesting characters you obviously strive to create a people that you can relate to how do you come up with your idea for the various characters do they tie in because the plot needs them or because um, the characters demand the story the, the characters really come first and then i've had to figure out how to tie them into a greater plot because I mean, as you said, it really is about these people needing to express something. And I think that the greater mystery is oftentimes secondary. We definitely went bigger at the end of our second season, <laughs> but at its core, it is two people talking about feelings <laughs> in a room. And each of the characters kind of just popped up almost completely rounded in my head, which is kind of crazy. Uh, it was just one of those things where I, I tapped into an idea that I felt very passionate about of pairing superpowers with people that might have a difficulty with the specificity of that particular superpower. Okay. So Caleb, the teenager, you know, a, a, a football high school football player, what would be the thing that would be difficult for him feeling other people's feelings? Cause that's kind of against the cliche of what a high school jock is like. Um, what would be difficult for a person who's kind of a hippie flower child actually hearing everybody's thoughts. So kind of thinking about these archetypes of characters and then taking a little twist on them. And thankfully, I also had these incredible actors in my life, either in class or as friends, um, and certainly as both, who I wanted to cast in things. So their own personalities definitely bled into a lot of who the characters became. I, I love the fact that it is, as you said, it's a real ensemble piece. It has mm. that feeling of a, a Twilight Zone or an anthology mystery show. And I, I have to ask, were you a fan of uh, old-time radio and uh, old-school voice acting audio drama? You know, it's not something I've actually spent a lot of time listening to. I definitely am a huge fan of the Twilight Zone. I grew up watching it and have binged the entire thing once again once it got on Netflix. But uh, radio drama, I kind of would hear now and again, you know, when NPR or something or a radio affiliate sure. would broadcast them late at night. But really what spurred it was uh, Welcome to Night Vale, which I think is true for a lot of people of my generation who are into audio drama, because that was kind of the first big audio drama of the modern age, I think. And then from there, I got really into... Uh, Limetown and the Black Tapes podcast and Tannis and I've just been now consuming tons of audio dramas but it really started as kind of a combination of listening to Welcome to Night Vale and actually Cabin Pressure which is a BBC comedy sitcom uh, radio sitcom and it's totally different but I was just listening to both that and Welcome to Night Vale in my car in traffic and thought huh this is an interesting medium and these two shows are doing completely different things with radio and I wonder if I could hit somewhere in between 
it's very much a monologue or a dialogue off screen that you you have to create so much in your head that the actor has to bring to the voice and the writer has to both put in the narration and leave the white space for the the voice actor to fill in that it's it's both collaborative and it's very surprising in the results as you said that it, it's a very wide field from thing from cabin pressure bbc comedy podcast all the way to the mystery and the very odd events that happened in Night Vale. You yourself, you said that uh, this was your first audio adventure. As a writer, how have you found your chops have changed writing for audio as opposed to for a video production? Uh, so my dirty little secret actually is that I have never really written anything before this. Um, I am primarily an actor and I, I grew up, you know, writing little short stories or beginning fantasy novels, things like that. I, I I think spent a lot of my early teenage years hoping to be a novelist um, and then discovered performance was really what I loved and didn't really think much about writing and never really did much of it. I did plenty of nonfiction writing and essay writing and academic writing in college. But in terms of fiction, this is the first thing that I've done and shared with the world. So it's funny because I think that audio was the perfect thing for an actor to do because it's just dialogue and as an actor the thing that i traffic in is dialogue mm. so just figuring out how people speak and how they relate to one another is something that i'm already comfortable with as an actor that i just was able to translate that into writing and because it was an audio format i didn't have to worry about any of the visuals yeah, it does give you a clear palette and it allows you to remove a lot of the things that you might be worried about hitting marks, you know, pacing, having the things show on the, in the script dialogue. Now that you're working with voice actors, however, has your style changed? Have they requested more of those marks be put in the writing? Has it evolved or are, are you finding this is something that you, in, innately you're, you, you got a handle on already? It's definitely evolving. I think that. Anybody who writes anything, I'm sure you've experienced it. The more you write, the better you get. Just, you know, that's just practice makes perfect or practice makes better. Mm. Um, and definitely listening to the actor's speech patterns and the, the ad libs that they do and the improvs that they do in the course of recording has affected the way in which I write the characters. Uh, not in any huge dialogue shifting ways, but just in the little pauses and the emphasis and things like that, that each unique person has naturally in their speech patterns that an actor is inevitably going to bring to a character. And in terms of a, a more practical change, uh, one thing that was a request from an actor is uh, Anna Laurie, who's a good friend of mine and who plays Chloe on the podcast, requested that I m create some sort of difference in the dialogue that Chloe is saying as she's hearing someone's thoughts because as just a kind of a block of dialogue of Chloe going through her own thoughts and then echoing the thoughts of others, it was getting very confusing. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of an interesting way to think about writing the script of, okay, I have to sort of demarcate what Chloe's hearing and, and what she's echoing and what are her own unique thoughts. So on a more practical level, that was the one major actor request that kind of changed the way I wrote the scripts. A slightly outside the realm of this being your creation and you being on Patreon to discuss it. How has it had that effect that you wanted to on your career? Has people taken notice? I know you were featured on iTunes. Yeah, uh, people have taken notice. And it's been really exciting because it's led to a lot of, I think, great creative growth for me and for, I hope, all the actors who are working on it. You know, to have complete creative control over something is 
not something you really get to experience very much in entertainment and particularly as an actor. So I think the fact that it is kind of this collaborative experience is really enjoyable. And I feel myself becoming a better actor, writer, artist in general, just every time that I write something, every time we go into record or anytime I talk to one of the actors about their character and on a more practical level, it's just introduced me to this entire new community of <laughs> audio drama creators. There's a lot which, of us. Yeah, there are a lot. And I had no idea. And it's such a welcoming, encouraging community that kind of welcomed me from the moment I released the first episode. Uh, you know, it was it's small enough that every new person that enters into it is everyone's really excited to have them there, which isn't always the case in entertainment. You know, things can get a little bit more competitive. And what I found in audio drama is that everyone's really excited about the work that everyone's doing, which is such a nice environment to be in. And it's also opened up a lot of voice acting opportunities for me, which is something that's pretty hard to break into voiceover work. And because of these connections I've been making, I've been doing a lot more voice acting, which has been really, really fun. Excellent. Oh, great. No, it's true. I, I understand that there's different agents, different, it's completely different culture, just like the, the, the uh, podcasting and the audio drama. Um, yeah. So now you're on Patreon. You decided to connect directly with your fans. Did they come to you and suggest this? Did you know people in the community or did you say, Hey, I found this crazy thing. Let's take a jump. Uh, it was pretty much the latter. I, I forget exactly where I heard about Patreon, but it's sort of been on my radar for a couple of years, I think, because there are a couple artists I follow on Tumblr and on Twitter that use it to support their artwork. And as we were gearing up for our second season this past January, January, February, this past winter, um, I just thought, gosh, it would be nice to be able to just pay for hosting and the website and maybe even someday pay for you know the amazing acting talent that I have. And so I we didn't really have enough listeners at the time to get advertising. And also I thought it'd be really great to keep it ad free for as long as we can and just reach directly to the consumer. And if people wanted to support us, they could, and we would still offer everything for free. And the response has been mind blowing. Like the fact that I'm able to pay everybody involved a fair rate. And the fact that it's now a self-sustaining thing is kind of incredible to me. So it's, I mean, the, the listeners have really stepped up and been incredibly supportive and made it so that I can dedicate a lot more time to making the story even better and making sure that we give the best content possible. And because of your passion and because this is something you're doing in your life in other ways as an actor, it, it's a virtuous circle, a cycle. And I'm glad to see that it's fed back into the other parts of your lives. Every artist needs that uh, support of people paying attention and paying, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have a memorable interaction with a patron you'd like to share or, or, or a memorable uh, event that's come about through Patreon? Um, I mean, there are honestly so many to choose from uh, <laughs> because I, I really have been bowled over by the just the sheer generosity and love that people have. Um, I remember one of our first patrons uh, runs an inn in Maine. And when he uh, pledged to us, he sent us a message saying, if any of you are ever in Maine, I'd love to put you up in my inn for free. Oh. And this was so early on. And I just thought that's like, that's amazing that this person likes the thing that we do so much that he'd be willing to give us a room at his really nice inn in, in Portland, Maine. And there have been tons of things like that of people saying, 
you know, I wish I could give more, but here's this piece of artwork that I want to share with you. Or we've gotten a lot of great messages from people saying, um, you know, I, I'm sorry that I can only pledge this much, but I just wanted to let you know that, um, this has encouraged me to go to therapy or this has made me really excited to study psychology, or this has made me remember, you know, my own coming out story and falling in love for the first time, whatever. I mean, it really connects with people. And what I try to tell these people when they give me these amazing messages is it doesn't matter if it's $1, if it's $2, if it's no money at all, just letting us know that you like the thing and that you're supportive. And if you're just tweeting about it, blogging about it, and you can't give, it's still an incredible thing. And there have been people who can't support us necessarily monetarily, but then will blog about the Patreon and get other people's support. And I just, I am so thrilled and humbled by the the kind of support that we've gotten. Truth in podcasting and therapy doesn't always hurt. <laughs> exactly. So what, what are some of the non-traditional tools that you might use to get yourself up? We'll talk about maybe some of the audio tools, the computer, of course, but is there some activity that recharges your energy banks? Is there some something that you like to do that just helps you get in the writing mood? Is there something that is, uh, as an artist, uh, a, a regular tool that people might not associate with being an actor, podcaster, writer? Yeah. Um, the thing that I'm sort of now known for on Tumblr are these mixtapes that I make for the characters. I have made in-universe mixes as well. And I made them initially basically as a writing tool for myself to kind of listen to before writing a session with a particular patient, kind of get me in the mood, get me in their headspace. Um, I also will definitely find myself kind of walking around in their physicality and kind of talking aloud in their voice and figuring out exactly how they speak and how they move and what kind of mood they're in. And the music really helps with that. And then on a sort of broader picture level, um, I have two chalkboards and a big glass table that I like to take a chalk pen to and kind of plan out everything and kind of beautiful mind map right. <laughs> episodes and seasons. And that really helps me get into a writing space as well, because there's something about kind of physically writing an idea out that then helps spur other ideas. Because obviously I type all of the scripts up on a computer, but there's something about having a pen in your hand, writing a certain mm-hmm. idea and then thinking, Oh, well, what if it was, what if this connected to this in this way? And that might be interesting if these characters interacted in that way. The old um, saw is that you always learn things three different ways by physically interacting, by writing and actually by talking or computing. They're different parts of your brain. So they let you spark different ideas. Yes, exactly. I, <laughs> my poor mother has had to listen to me talk for hours about different ideas because I'll call her in the middle of the day and just sort of say, what if, you know, what about this idea? What if these characters did this? And I'll talk through something. And then by the end of the conversation, through her input and then just saying things out loud, I have an entirely new idea that I really like. So I totally ascribe to the three different ways of learning. Lauren, that sounds almost like therapy. <laughs> it does. So you've got this wonderful outlet. You've got this wonderful show that people are really re- relating to. They're helping support you. And as an actor, sometimes the hardest thing to do in the uh, series of classes, auditions, and the rigmarole associated with developing a career is get feedback. Mm. How are you incorporating the feedback now? Is it something that you're still really happy to get? And how are you controlling that the message stays true to you? That's a, that's a great question and something that I spend a lot of time thinking about because 
there's definitely, I, I love, I love getting feedback. I love hearing anything from anybody about their thoughts on the podcast or the characters or me. I think it's really great. And I mean, it's, it's easy for me to say that because most <laughs> of the feedback has been good, <laughs> but you know, I also welcome constructive criticism, but there's a very fine line between seeing what an audience is reacting to and relating to and liking and what they want. And then also staying true to the story that you're trying to tell. So there have been plenty of things that I've seen that the audience might be rooting for or might not like. And I will definitely see that and kind of process it through my brain and then completely ignore it. Yes. <laughs> because I, I think that, you know, I, I think that it's okay to have a little bit of a disconnect between your audience and you in terms of what you're trying to, t with the story that you're trying to tell, because I obviously know weeks and months ahead of what they know. So sometimes I'll see a reaction and I'll think, okay, well, you think that now, but you might think differently about that come this episode. Sure. And collaborating with your actors is good feedback. Writer's room is very helpful, but you're like Apple. You know what they want before they do. <laughs> and you're well, not like so. Fox because Mulder and Scully should never kiss. But quite a <laughs> Oh, I disagree with you there. <laughs> oh, start a shipping war. Okay. It was one of my original ships. <laughs> That's fine. And it works for everybody. I like that. Now listen, yeah. you've you've become you've become a very confident podcaster. I'd say your voice going into your third season, which I'm looking forward to, is is very much your own. And you've you've cited some of the people who were influences on you getting here. Who are some of the people you're listening to now? Or perhaps we should say if there's Patreon creators you support with your money or you want to give a shout out for or who have influenced how you run your campaign or how you create your show. Who are some of those names? Oh, boy. Um, I listen to so many podcasts, but um, some of my favorites that are on Patreon would have to be all the Pacific Northwest stories stuff, the Black Tapes podcast and Tannis. I just adore. I think they're doing such interesting mystery work and it's such a rich universe and I really have a fun time listening to. Um, and then Ars Paradoxica and Wolf 359 are two podcasts that I've been lucky enough to get to know the people who make them. And they are as amazing in person as they are in podcast form, if that makes sense. <laughs> uh, Ars Paradoxica actually uh, is a podcast that we sort of borrowed the sound producer from. Misha Stanton uh, <laughs> produces that podcast and helps write it. And they have done sound production on the Bright Sessions since episode 17, which has been a huge gift. And as a result, I've been doing some voice acting for them. So that's been a really fun kind of podcast community collaboration. And then Wolf 359 is, uh, I sort of have joked on the internet about this before, a, a podcast that I look towards to how to hurt the audience most <laughs> <laughs> because Gabrielle Urbina, who is an incredible writer, just really knows how to pack an emotional punch. So that's a show I really enjoy listening to, even though it's completely different in terms of setting. And I think what it's trying to achieve, it's still a, an ensemble piece kind of like ours is. Um, and, you know, cause it's basically seven people in a space station and they're, are there's kind of a larger mystery plot, but there's also a lot of twists and turns in the emotional lives of the characters. And so those are the podcasts on Patreon that I personally support and that I really love listening to new episodes of. And I'm, I'm always looking to see what formats they're shaking up and what they're doing. And, and uh, yeah, I just love talking to those people. A good group of good group of creators to find yourself in the mix with. Absolutely. 
So now let me ask you a question about, you talked about having really got up to speed quickly before advertising was something you even considered. And now you have Patreon to support you in that way. Um, what do you see the breakdown? You very kindly still offer the free podcast. Does it come out at the same time as the Patreon exclusives or is there an advanced window? Well, how are the Patreons, uh, patron fans that support you financially being, uh, looked after? Well, uh, we release the episodes all at the same time across all platforms. Um, but the, the Patreon supporters do get access to a special part of our website that has some behind the scenes stuff. So, um, they get access to, depending on their level, some of my writer's notes, behind the scenes photos. I am currently working on, um, annotated playlists. So kind of the breakdown of, of why I chose certain songs for certain characters nice. and why I structured playlists certain ways. Um, because that's, an aspect of our bonus content that people seem to really be responding to. And then, you know, we kind of do the basic stuff like follow people on Twitter and shout them out on Twitter. I, I do a YouTube channel about fandoms that I'll, I'll kind of broadcast people's projects and, and try and give a shout out for different podcasts that people are doing or different events that they're hosting around the world. Um, and for, I think the $5 tier, you can basically pay for me to shout out your thing to my 5,000 subscribers. So it's a lot of just kind of community building. And then um, I'm constantly thinking about what insights into the production I can give to our Patreon supporters, because those are the people that are really engaged and really dedicated to the, the world that we're creating. And so I definitely want to reward that by kind of explaining or, or adding a little insight into how exactly we create certain things. And it works. It's great to be able to see that that feedback that you get to listen to your fans, listen to your supporters, and also give them a taste that the DVD extras, I like to call them. Exactly. Like the director's commentary of things. So, okay, look, this is your chance. Any spoilers, any hints you want to give? Ooh, um, actually, yeah, I will I will give, give one little spoiler uh, for season three, which is that we are adding two new characters, um, or at least we are adding their voices. And I am very excited about the actors that I'm, I'm talking with about doing it. They're really, really talented people that have been in my mind for these characters for a while. So uh, I think that people are really going to like it. And the preview date, the premiere date for season three? Uh, to be determined. <laughs> oh, I don't want soon. To, yes, soon. I, I don't want to lock anything in because we are still in the process of, when I say we, I am still in the process of writing it. Um, but Thankfully, my wonderful actors and uh, my sound producer, Misha, are chomping at the bit to get back to it. So probably mid-October. I will say that tentatively. Enjoy your summers, everybody, and then get back <laughs> in your chairs for therapy come the fall. Lauren, exactly. it is great to talk to you. If anybody out there has just discovered you and wants to know more about this crazy therapy, or they've already been following you, but they haven't followed you all the way to Patreon, they can all do that at patreon.com slash the bright sessions they certainly can and any amount helps us a great deal um so we really really appreciate it and the shout outs if you can't help with money there's always the shout outs indeed yes tumblr about us find us on tumblr and twitter and all of that stuff and uh come ask me questions and show me your fan art i love it so much <laughs> lauren thank you for sharing your story on the patreon podcast thank you so much for having me on Linda Medley is a comic book author and illustrator best known for the Castle Waiting series. She's an Eisner Award winner for that series, and she has worked for DC Comics, Image Comics, and illustrated children's books for Putnam, Houghton, Mifflin, and more. 
Linda has a special place in her heart for Castle Waiting, though, and she's turned to Patreon as a means of connecting directly with supporters of her work and to tell more stories in that setting. And we're going to speak with Linda now. Linda, welcome to the Patreon podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, listen, it's it's interesting to see people of all inks and stripes, so to speak, come to the show. Uh, we see a lot of web comics and uh, more and more traditional illustrators and comics. Can I ask, um, before we talk specifically about your career and your work, what made you take the jump to Patreon yourself? What was it that convinced you that this was a good way to meet with your fans and create the work you love? Well, uh, the main thing was that I... Um uh, actually needed a, uh, the, the financial support. I mean, that's a pretty blunt way of putting it, but, um, what you mean artists need to eat, <laughs> but the whole starving artist thing is only, um, romantic in movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's not interesting in real life. Um, and I had, I'm in the middle of working on, um, a new volume now. And, I just thought, well, now would be a time to find out if everything everyone says about crowdfunding and, you know, uh, social networking is really um, as useful and the way of the future as they say it is. So um, I just decided to reach out to, you know, people and fans that I've known for decades and have followed my work for a long time. And, um, I'm actually finding out that as great as it is to have this financial support, I'm really happy to be able to have a, um, a, a place where I can have to get feedback, mm-hmm. real feedback mm-hmm. from, you know, not just Facebook niceties as uh, a lot of it is, um, so I'm really looking forward to, uh, cause I just started my Patreon and I'm really looking forward to how that's going to be to have actual, you know, incoming feedback from fans, uh, as I'm working on the book. It's also, it's also something to say that, uh, your decades of work building those connections and proving, as we say, Patreon is built for the person who's building the next thing where a Kickstarter might be for the previous mm-hmm. thing. Uh, you've also shown that you've got that backlist, that, that trust and that love that people have for you, which has shot you well over a hundred when you just started your Patreon. So welcome for kicking things off with a boom and welcome <laughs> to the Patreon podcast to, to share the story of a little bit about who that person is making Castle Waiting. Now, listen, I'm glad that we've been able to get you on, and I know that you are sweltering on the top story of a very hot building this summer. It's actually not bad right now, so. (laughs) We'll jump right into what is it about Castle Waiting that became something you're so famous for and and, and that you're so excited to jump back into? Uh, Well, I think really the the main thing is is that it is my um, my own creation, uh, prior to that, I was working for uh, DC Comics, so doing, you know, working on the um, titles that they own mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, characters, Batman, Superman, you know, well, I didn't work on Batman or Superman, but it was, you know, characters that I don't own the copyright or trademark to. And as much as I was a comic fan, I've been a comic fan since I was maybe nine or 10 years old. I kind of, it it was a matter of having at that time, at the time that I was working for DC, um, there was not a lot of 
independent comic. Um, I mean, there were independent comics, but it wasn't very easy to get into. And I had actually um, gone to school to be an illustrator and I kind of specialized in children's book illustration. And I had wanted to find some way to put both the comic book format and what I really love to do, which was children's book illustration. And I love all of the old golden age um, children's book illustrators to put those, that style and those types of stories together and make a comic book that looks like it, it could have been done, you know, in the last century, but have the kind of the, the sensibility of, you know, modern times. The wit and the humor. Yeah. Not to make it so unrelatable that, <laughs> you know, that, that, that your audience is just alienated and, you know. It strikes it's like me as a wonderful counterpoint to something like a fables. Uh, yeah, actually it's, it's, it's completely different from that. Well, it is completely uh, different, but it's a counterpoint. Uh, it's very much touching on, uh, reinventing those classic myths in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's funny because when I first started doing the book, I, um, took my, my, prim some of my preliminary work and scripts and showed them to, you know, people that I had known in the business for years and a lot of people were saying, it's like, oh, just don't, you're gonna, don't do this. <laughs> it's nobody's going to want this. This is just, you know, maybe like kind of, kind of do it for fun and, 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 you know, show it to people who might like it, but don't, you know, don't think you're, this is ever going to go anywhere. Well, I'm glad and, you didn't listen to that advice. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, I know that back then that, that, like I said, the whole, the, the industry being dominated by superheroes there just wasn't, it was kind of hard to, to wrap your mind around something else. So, um, or wrap your mind around something else and think you could actually be successful at it. What's also interesting, although this was a few years back before, uh, before comics could be bought on your iPad, before you could create directly for your fans, oh, yeah. was I mean, that Oh, I'm saying there, there wasn't a lot of people even using computers. <laughs> but you, you won your Eisner, one of your Eisner Awards for the ongoing story element of Castle Waiting. And you've really made that return in the serial format. I think people are very excited by. So it comes down to the characters more than the, uh, the genre, I think. And that's the people have been waiting for the returns of these characters. How, where do we find uh, Jane and the others in the story now? Um, this is actually the, the volume that I'm working on now is all about Jane's background. So it's kind of like going from where I left off in the um, other volumes. And people will know this. There's been um, flashback, like a series of flashbacks showing um, her childhood. And Jane, and okay, maybe you should give a brief introduction for people hearing for the first time. Um, at this right now, uh, Jane is the current main character because in the overall series, the, the main character changes from one to another. Mm -hmm. And um, she is uh, a woman who, um, oh, maybe I should just start with the entire, well, the entire story is, is about um, Sleeping Beauty's castle and what happened to the castle 
after the princess left and just abandoned you know everybody who was there so the castle is a place that's like a place of refuge or just a stopping place for people characters as they're moving you know through their lives or moving on to someplace else and Jane is a character who uh who goes who goes journeys there um to have her baby and becomes a part of the community of people that are living there mm-hmm. but there's a lot of kind of mystery about like what what's going who is the baby's father um why did she leave you know everything that she knew behind to go to a completely strange place to make herself a home and that's what this uh, third volume is all about is what happened to her behind the behind <laughs> between the point of her being um, <clears throat> kind of a naive, slightly spoiled rich girl <laughs> to being, uh, you know, a, a woman who um, made some very definite, strong and difficult choices for herself as to how she wanted to live and raise her child. It's it's a good story. It's a good character set, and I'm glad you're returning to Lady Jane as well. Uh, this is a world that people are going to learn and discover for themselves, as well as for people tuning in who are already familiar with Castle Waiting. Mm-hmm. I'll remind everybody that's new to the crowd, this is an Eisner-winning story. This is some quality work, and we're, we're, we're very proud to have uh, have you on Patreon, Linda. Let me ask now, how how do you find interacting with your fans? Like, how are you up using Patreon to to create that? As you said, that that foster that community aspect that you you value with your fans. I think that what I'm because I'm like I said I'm just starting, so I've um, been planning all these different things I'd like to do. I think that part of I'm I'm keeping open like on some of the the reward um, levels the. I did ask on Facebook what some people thought would be, um, you know, things that they would like to get for contributing. And since a lot of people know that I've done children's book illustration and that I love classic children's books, they were saying, well, could we get something that's, you know, could you do sketches that are from, you know, other books from other classic books? children's books and I thought well that would be fantastic mm-hmm. <laughs> really and um so that kind of thing is is really that kind of feedback is just of what do they want um and like I said I I I'll be able to show people what I'm working on as I'm working on on it you know in the um different blogs and and just people can you know be able to tell me do, can't, does it look good to them? Does it not look good to them? Um, I just think that that's, I mean, it's like having, uh, being able to have feedback kind of instantaneously like that is uh, going to be priceless, I think. In a world where previously people would have to wait months or years before years. Of, ever yes. see a touch of art dribble yeah. out from a mainstream studio, being able to look at the digital downloads 
of sketches in process. Um, it, it's fascinating. And some of your awards are even more interesting. You, you have a special reward just for Sorry. teachers and librarians who, who would like to, to have the back work as well as Skype video visits to their classrooms. This, this is the kind of interaction, interaction with a, with a re, with a creator that I think is going to be incredibly positive and, and create something new. Um, what are some of the, uh, interactions you've had now that you've started, as you said, building this, the feedback from people who have joined your Patreon campaign? How, how is that relationship specifically coming along? Any memorable interactions or, or fan support come out? It's just been great that, that people have, um, you know, been saying it's like, uh, I've been a fan for years and I, you know, that they didn't even know that I was working on the book again. And um, just that they're really looking forward to seeing what I'm doing. And that's, I mean, even though that sounds kind of like nothing, that when you're working on something, you're really in such a vacuum mm-hmm. that you, don't, you start to think, you know, like, besides the fact that, like, you're, you're not, you're working in your pajamas, you don't brush your teeth, you're just like, you know, because nobody sees you, that you tend to forget that there are people out there that are as invested in the book as you are. And so sometimes, you know, it's a matter of, I mean, it's kind of two ways because you can say, Oh, I'm just going to be lazy today. Nobody cares. <laughs> and, and so, and the, but, so it reminds me, yes, somebody does care, get to work. And uh, so it's sort of like you're, you're not really working alone. You have, um, it's like there's you that it's, it is kind of an odd thing of, you know, the relationship between an artist and their audience. And sometimes I know it's a balance that can get out of balance Sure. <laughs> and people can either be uh, extremely narcissistic and egotistical and, you know, um, act that way, or you can kind of go in the other direction and be too influenced. But, um, I think I've been around long enough that if somebody's trying to <laughs> take over the reins that I just say, well, no, I, I don't think that's a good idea. And, um, you know, take, take the feedback as it's what, you know, what's it's valuable. smart for an artist to have that sense of confidence in their work. You're not threatened. You're also not going to be swayed, but you really want that connection. And that's laudable, yeah. I think. Yeah. Has Patreon changed the way you do your work or approach your creations? And what goes into your daily or project routine nowadays? Oh, it's definitely uh, like a matter of I, I have to always stop and think, oh, I should stop and take a picture of this as I'm uh-huh. doing it. Or, or, you know, it's like maybe I should film, you know. And that's um, sometimes it's a little bit of a hindrance, you know, to, to like – get into the, I just have to get into the rhythm of doing that and like making sure, you know, make sure I have a tripod set up or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I don't, I don't think that that's a bad thing at all. I think it's just part of the new way of working. Um, I think that that's, uh, like I said, it's, it's different. It's a different era now. It's not, <laughs> it's, you're not, you know, creating a illuminated manuscript in a uh, tower someplace. It's, wearing it's robes a, after having taken a vow of silence. Yes. Exactly. Yes. 
<laughs> well, it so is how, more of an interactive thing. I'm glad that you find that comfort level with the interaction. Some people have difficulty changing the way they work. Uh, have Did you find anything uh, other than getting used to the new things? You seem very welcome, welcoming and interested in new systems. Was there anything that was a hard change to make from being a very, uh, very inwardly drawn artist to being a collaborative one, at least with your fans in this way? Um. Yeah, just um, having to get over being shy, having a hard time talking to people, and um, you know, there, there's it's always that kind of like, gosh, do I sound stupid? Do I, you know, <laughs> is my hair brushed? Is you know that kind of um, uh, insecurity that is? But then everybody has that, so um, it's a matter of not being too self-centered and just being a little more open to um, letting people in on the process. It's that kind of thing of when I was a kid, it was that whole, you know, it's like, no, no, you can't see it till it's finished right? <laughs> and hide it someplace. And now it's kind of like, well, you're just going to have to see it when it's not finished. And um, they seem to enjoy that for some reason. Well, I think there's a lot of good reasons for that. We live in the era of the DVD bonus feature in the commentary track and a very yes. social media driven world, as you said. And I love the fact that you're striving for that balance where you don't want the work to be driven by other people's needs. It has to be your creation, but you, you still have that sense of someone sitting around the campfire. You're very interested in seeing the looks on their faces, the anticipation, and that helps you tell the story. So it's good to see you being refreshed. I'm sure as an artist, it's a very interesting and dynamic change that allows you to, to explore in a new way. So mm -hmm. has it, has it changed the way you, um, record i know you recently had some some health problems that changed the way that your recovery time and some problems with carpal tunnel which a lot of artists suffer for how do you yes. draw now are you using a, a wacom are you using traditional methods what has happened in that regard i've actually and this is something that i think also that that has you know it kind of helped break through the barrier of that um you know i have to stick with the old way of doing things is um, that I have had to change the way that I work so much that it's like, um, for instance, I have to, uh, I use a, you know, usually when you draw, you, you know, you have your paper on your board okay. and you draw on it, but I have to, um, because part of the problem I have is my vision is so bad, um, that I have, a um, this machine, this thing that's for, um, uh, visually impaired people and it's uh it's a, it's a magnifier where i you know draw it's i'm basically not looking at what i'm drawing i mean it, it magnifies it up on, onto a screen it's similar to using a uh the old wacom wacom tablets right uh, you know where you're drawing but you're not watching what you're drawing so you've had I to train your eyes to look in one place while you're yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that's something that's very different, <clears throat> but it helps. And um, I, another, I mean, like I said, and that's uh, made it easier for me to actually, you know, photograph or record what I'm doing because it's on the screen magnified really large. And um, that's, like I said, that's so, so different from the way that I used to work that, you know, I figure if I can get used to that, I can get used to <laughs> videotaping myself. I can get used to, you know, all anything that uh, comes along in terms of changing how I work. 
it's so refreshing to hear these attitudes. Most of the people who uh, adapt to social media the best traditionally are the people who are coming up from uh, the, the point of view of being raised with the phones in their hands. The older generations don't tend to adapt as well to, for instance, if you're an author, perhaps you made your money traditionally publishing. You don't want to take the risk of doing it yourself. Um, but I'm really in love with how much you seem to be in love with changing and finding inspiration. It's got to be very, very nerve wracking though. Does it take a lot of energy? Does it take a lot of energy to convince yourself to try these new things? And how are you warming to it in a new way and finding new things? Um, it did at first. It was hard to, you know, talk myself <laughs> out of um, very stale ways of doing things. But after doing that, after you've done that the first few times, what I found was then when you're presented with a problem or presented with something new, I can look back and say, well, you know, it worked for the last two or three things that I knew things that I tried right? and yes. think, well, you know, it doesn't hurt to try it. And, um, that's something that, uh, maybe 20 years ago, 20 or 30 years ago, I would not have even thought of doing, wouldn't have even <laughs> tried it. <laughs> it's great. No, it's really refreshing and exciting to hear people being refreshed and excited, not only by what they're creating, but by the way they're willing to go out and find a new way to reach. Uh, I imagine it would be like a, a pianist at an opera or an orchestra practicing busking in front of the op opera hall instead. <laughs> well, no. I think a, go ahead. I was say, well, it's actually also kind of fun for me, it's like a, um, it's kind of like playing a game because what I'm doing, the actual work is so old fashioned, you know, the, the, the drawing style, mm -hmm. the fact that it comes out in a hardback book with, you know, all of the, it looks like an, an old book, but I'm using very modern tech technology and to make something that looks like it's really old to me, that's kind of funny <laughs> um or just kind of like it's like you're you're tricking people a little bit that's you know a kind of fun thing to do <laughs> again you're, you're you're really inspiring people and i really love talking to people who 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 are willing to open themselves up so much speaking of opening themselves up the flip side of that is that it's tiring not only doing what you're doing and creating and doing something like working uh with a medium that's so visual and using social media in this new fashion how do you recharge your batteries? What are some non-traditional tools you use to uh, to get away, to recharge? Like I've had some people say they need to walk their dog or go mountain climbing or or they need to garden or they need to do certain things that you would not think are part of their craft. Do you have anything like that? Well, <laughs> yes, actually, I um, I like gardening um, a lot, but I lately have not been living in any places where I, I had any place to do that. So I, I have, um, what I've been doing lately is I, I make terrariums. <laughs> so it's sort of like I have little tiny gardens. Huh. Uh, and I've been making them with like moss. I go out and collect moss and make little moss gardens. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that would be relaxing, but I, um, I just, it's something where when I'm doing that, I, everything else, just kind of all the complexities, um, just kind of go away and I can focus doing that. And it's, and it's just nice to be able to, uh, there's something really important. I think about, I don't know, just touching dirt and, um, 
kind of reconnecting with uh, plant life, which is something that I, I think, you know, so many people and so many, and living in so many pl- different urban areas where there's no place to do that, that right. even on a tiny, tiny scale, it, you know, it's, it's helpful. It's restful. I think it's true. I think it's, it's interesting for people to step out of their comfort zone to, if they're working in an office all day, to get out, take their socks and shoes off and touch dirt, as you say. I think yeah. you need that balance. It, it returns you to a, a kind of a middle place where perhaps you're not overly obsessed with any one part of life. Uh, speaking of overly obsessed with any one part of life, I'm fascinated and glad you're returning to Castle Waiting. Do you have any other works that you're interested in tackling next or anything else that you're any new approaches that you're looking at working on that are exciting you? Oh yeah. I actually have um, probably a dozen different um, other projects that someday I want to, to get to. I mean, in there um, I have like a whole series of um, books that are uh, set in the, um, the wizard of Oz um universe i guess you could say and um those i'd like to get done someday and i have um some other stories that i've written that are um they're more they're modern they're sitting set in uh modern times they're drawn in a different cleaner kind of style and i'd like to do those someday as well but for the for right now they're all just set aside <laughs> while I get this done. Well, it's good to know that you've got the long-term focus and the short-term game and that Patreon is helping you get there. As I said, you okay. burst onto the scene very quickly and people uh, rewarded you with your work. And I think a lot of people might think that, oh, you're an overnight success after 20 years of working. <laughs> Isn't that always the way? Um, well, yeah, I guess, except that I, I, let's see, I'm trying to think. I first started working in comics i think in 1989 so it's hardly overnight <laughs> everybody sees it and thinks they could do it too but as yeah. i was saying the eisner awards the, the the history of working with multiple respected comics brands has taken time and has made you who you are today which is why people are still so excited uh to hear what's coming out of castle waiting you haven't gotten stale and and you're very willing to accept new ideas I think we've established if you want to approach anybody in social media and crowdfunding, you need to have a backlist of stuff and you need to have shown that you're going to complete what you created. But what is the next piece of advice you'd give someone who wants to start using Patreon as a creator? I do think it's um, important to try to think up rewards kind of that you would want to get yourself, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, if it's like, it's like, gee, I'd kind of like to see, you know, it's supporting somebody and they gave me, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. It's like, offer that to people, offer them, uh, offer them what they tell you they want, but offer them what you want too, because they may not know that that's what they want. <laughs> Again, you're giving advice about being true to your voice, but also putting yourself in other people's shoes and trying new things. Uh, you, you're definitely having a ball with Patreon and it shows. Yeah. It's, like I said, I think it'll be, um, you know, not just financially a good thing, but um, socially a good thing, if that makes sense. I think so. Everybody needs a social life and Patreon is a good place to start. <laughs> there you go. Especially if you're working on that top floor of that building all the time. Yeah. Now that we've got you <laughs> online and we've got you comfortable, Linda, what do you plan to do? Can you give us a, a hint or a 
tip of something that's coming in future months or episodes of the sneak peeks you're giving out for Castle Waiting? What are people that are listening uh-huh. to, can they tune in to expect to find? Uh, well, I know at least in volume three, since, and uh, since they're going to be watching it uh, produced as, as I'm doing it, they'll actually um, find out this. Well, this is also something else also for people who don't are unfamiliar with the series that um, most of the characters in the book are characters from um, well-known fairy tales. And that's, something that people will find out as I'm working who Jane actually is and um, who some of the people in her, you know, the members of her family are the people that, um, that she grew up with. Um, So it's not, it's like people who have followed the stories, they might find out something that they weren't, uh, expecting and people who aren't familiar with the book, you, you would find out that somebody, some character that you just think is someone you have never heard of before actually is someone that you're very familiar with. This is great. This is great. But remember patrons, no spoilers. What happens in Patreon stays in Patreon. It's like you you paid for that information. <laughs> right. Don't go Don't sharing it around. <laughs> Linda, thank you very much. I really appreciated talking to you today. And if you're listening and you'd like to learn more about Linda or the Castle Waiting series or just give a dollar of support, you're sold and you want to help Linda make the next thing you'll love, you can do all of that at patreon.com slash Linda Medley, M-E-D-L-E-Y. Linda, thank you very much for sharing your story today on the Patreon podcast. Oh, thank you, John. Patreon!